You're listening to The Other Half, conversations with men on gender equality with Kiara Condi. Today, we are very happy to have with us on The Other Half, Jan Borsted. Welcome, Jan. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. An honor to for me. Jan Borset is a Swiss entrepreneur who, in 1996, co-founded Net Architects, a web design firm he sold to Altra Technologies. He went on to create and invest and manage diverse business activities in the field of real estate development and exhibition handling in France, England, and Switzerland. After the sale of his company, Jan founded the Humanity Foundation, an organization he started in 2005 that focuses on women's education, training, and development in Afghanistan, Brazil, India, the West Bank, Israel, and Morocco. And in 2016, he received the BNP Prize for Individual Philanthropy. So welcome, Jan. We're very, very happy to have you here. So just to start telling us, would you consider yourself a feminist or promoter of gender equality. And I want to quote something very beautiful that I read that was one of your one of your quotables. When women prosper, humanity flourishes. So no, I'm not a feminist. Mm -hmm. To be honest, it's not a, a word that I use. I'm a, what I say, I'm a humanist. It's about giving the same rights and opportunities to every human being. At the end of the day, for me, it's, it's human rights. When half of the population is not given the same opportunities, chances, rights, and the other half, it's human rights violation in a way. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good way of seeing it. And you often say in your discourses that you're not only fighting for women, but for all of society. Exactly. And where do you think that this notion of needing to help women advance in their equality came from? Do you think it was something that was important to you in your upbringing, in your life experience? What were the, what were the steps that took you there? The steps that took me there. Yeah, or any specific moment also that may have that may have made you think, "Whoa, I have to do something about this." I'm somebody who's been, you know, questioning the meaning of life for uh, since I'm uh, I'm very young. At the beginning, for me, it started as a spiritual quest, trying to understand the meaning of life, why we're here. Then, if you start along that path, you realize it was easy to realize that I've been very fortunate. In many respects, just the fact of where I was born, the, the free education that I had, made me privileged compared to the to most of human beings on this planet. You know, it's, it's always the question: What do you compare yourself to? Are you compare yourself to your neighbor? Or to the, I'm a human being out of the whatever seven billions that were on this planet. So I'm comparing myself to all those people, and I'm very fortunate. And this made you think that you wanted to invest in other people. Was there anything specifically that made you think that? women really need this or that you wanted to uh, really dedicate your foundation to women? I The first program I started was on uh, an issue called Little Maids, or in French, we call it Petite Bonne. It's something that happens in Morocco in quite a few countries also. And uh, mm -hmm. it was more on sending back to school girls between 6 and 11 were employed as maids and were never in school. So I so we did not start saying, okay, I want to work on women empowerment. I started on this program and then very quickly I realized, okay, you know, I'm, if we want to be impactful, we need to be very focused in terms of what we're doing. Hence the name Humanity and uh, all our program being dedicated to, uh, like I said, innovative solution to women empowerment because the needs are not the same across the world or around the world. Mm. 
Yes. So, and the first organization that you created in the first programs were to help then young women who were made get educated in Morocco. Is that correct? Exactly. Yes. And what inspired you to launch that? Because before that, you had been an entrepreneur and you founded Net Architects. I mean, was this something that you were thinking about back then, or was this something in in life that inspired you to do that? I run the foundation like a business. For me, it's how can we have the most impact? So I always felt that. I achieved a number of things in my professional life, and I'm still involved in, as an entrepreneur doing a number of things, but I needed more in my life. And I always was the one who said, okay, it's great what I have and what I'm doing, but there is more to life. And for me, it's about this level of consciousness that when you're given a lot, you need to give back and give back in a sense. It's in the way I've done it, it's about spending time trying to develop programs that change the reality of people on the ground. So it seems that you're very sensitive to this notion of injustice. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm somebody who's very sensitive and uh, human rights violation. It's something that, that touches me a lot. And can you tell us a bit about yourself and your mother and the way she raised you? Are there any specific values that you can point to in, in your upbringing and how she inspired your work in life? I was brought up in a normal uh, middle class family in Switzerland and uh, my mother worked, so that was already one thing. I should get mm-hmm. both my parents worked and they worked together. So oh. we had uh, lovely dinners with a lot of uh, dis- heated discussions. So I really grew up in an entrepreneurial environment. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mother was always someone who pushed me to to do whatever I could in, and whatever I, I felt I wanted in my life. So my parents very, very supportive. I ended up going to, to the university in the U.S. and and for them, it was a big financial sacrifice. And uh, they really pushed for me to go and, and supported me in my decisions. And uh, do you think having your mother be in the figure of an entrepreneur and, you know, be somebody who worked also really inspired you in terms of, in terms of a, a model for women as well and for gender equality? To be honest, I don't know, because I think there are many, very, many models you know, in terms of uh, for women and for men. Huh? So, mm-hmm. No, that's the model I grew up with. For me, you know, I go back to what I said a bit earlier. For me, it's about really this notion of, as an entrepreneur, if half of the assets of my company are not fully utilized, you know, my business won't be as successful as if all of the assets are used to their capacity. And I see it the same in society. If half of our population are not giving the same rights and opportunities, for sure, society won't be as successful. So that's really where I come from in terms mm. of. Uh, on my notion of uh, of equality or and for me it's really like i said feminism is a world where you lose men sometimes you know because they see it as this fight between men and women and i think it happened and it needed to happen in maybe in the 60s in the 70s but right now i see it much more as a collaboration of it, there are so many data at that point that we as society will benefit from this so let's engage men on on this turf instead of engaging them on on, on a different turf where we lose them uh, yes, I, I mean, I agree with you in the sense that we, right now we're talking when, and I think also a lot of people when, when they use the word, even if they use the word feminism today, they're talking about advancing women to to solve gender inequalities, but they're, it's not about advancing one sex more than the other. It's about reaching that equality. So, exactly. you know, that's, that's really what's, that's really what's important. And I think like 
you said, what, what, why is your foundation dedicated to women? It's, it's sort of also correcting that inequality to bring about equality. And how has this shaped you as a person and as a parent? Uh, has being a father transformed you? And how are you involved in your children's upbringing? We still have <laughs> argument with my wife about how much I should get involved. And, and my wife is very passionate about the subject of, mm. of women empowerment. And uh, so, yeah, look, I try to get very involved. And then there is the reality sometimes that catches me. So it's, uh, and it's even harder for me because I'm the one who preaches, you know, that we as men need to do things differently. It's no longer patriarchal society where women stay home and cook and take care of the kids and, and the man is a breadwinner. So I am trying in my own reality to create an environment where my wife can actually work and be the, the breadwinner. Actually, I've done a lot already in my life and maybe it's also time for now for my wife to, to have the time, the space to, to realize her own uh, you know, ambitions. Great. Have you been uh, quite involved as a, as a father? And do you see a difference between the way, between uh, having a boy and a girl? Look, my kids are very young, yeah. Mm -hmm. So two and a half and three and a half. So, it, it, and, uh, so it, it's early enough for... Yeah, they're not there. The difference yeah. is not there yet. <laughs> Look, I don't know if I'm, you know, I'm trying to raise for sure my son with different values. And there is no reason that my son should have any more opportunities than my daughter. So that's, and, and also in the way they interact. And, uh, and it's, it's a daily fight, you know, to remind yourself to change also the way, you know, I'm always frustrated why I go and buy a bicycle and the one for my daughter has to be pink and the one for my son has to be blue. I mean, those are like stereotypes that honestly, I find very frustrating because we need to change. And it starts from those little details. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And it starts also from the types of toys, not only the, uh, you know, as you said, pink and blue is the color. So and that's already, you know, one form of uh, separating the two. But then it's also the kinds of toys, you know, it's, uh, it's the, the, the dolls and, you know, the, the whatever the guns or whatever you give to boys. And it's also that that makes a difference. Exactly. In how raised. But, uh, you know, you know, there's so much you, you, you can do at home. But then the, the frustration is you, you go to a kindergarten and in many places they keep that certain toys for boys, certain toys for girls. And so it's very hard. Even if as a parent you want to change certain things, you are hit by the reality, which is not always the one that you want. Yeah, no, that's, and that, that's a very good point because even when you go to a toy store or something, you know, even if you want to be sort of gender conscious and all this and promote equality. I mean, you go and you just go to a toy, toy store and you're, you're confronted by sort of the exact opposite of that. So there's a, there's a lot in the world that <laughs> it still fights against gender equality for some reason. Exactly. But we're trying, you know, we're trying. It's a daily, daily fight. Exactly. And, and I think the, like the, I think the fight it happens in many ways, you know, and it happens in these small ways and it happens in much bigger ways as well. But I think you know, it's also these very small things that we really need to be careful about. Yeah, it starts from the little thing, if you, if you want to reach the big thing. So. And but the key for me is how, you, how we engage men in society in this. It's no longer, like I said earlier, a fight. Men need to understand that it's good for them and it's good for, their, for the future of the society, for their kids. So it's also very much, we can talk about the same subject, but how we present it matters, how we engage people. So we need to change the narrative in, in, in terms of what we do when we talk about women empowerment. 
Yeah, exactly. So just to remind people, you started the Womandi Foundation in 2005 and as a man. And this is before he for she or all this male engagement news that we see today. So you were really one of the, I think, one of the first male figures to stand up for gender equality and prompted you to do that so early back then and feel the need that also men need to advocate for women and not just women standing up for women. And I'm really interested in creating this foundation. Why was it important for you to take sort of a risk that other people would not take? And that's often something that you associate very highly with, with your foundation, which is very true in, in the work that you do. Oh, for me, first, it was a need. You know, I needed to do something. I felt the need, you know, to give mm. more meaning to my life. You know, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, if you realize that you've been privileged in certain ways, you, know, you can talk about it or you can also decide to do something. So, and I wanted to do it from a young age because philanthropy or social activism is something that you learn, you're better at it by doing it. So if you start when you're 70 years old, you don't have that many years left in order exactly. to, to be impactful. So that's one of the things that I wanted to do so young. And going back to uh, the topic, I wanted to do something. The topic mattered to me, but I really wanted the action. It speaks louder than words. So that was really the philosophy. And when you, when you asked me the question just now about taking risks, so, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. And as an entrepreneur, you need to know that you can f you do things. There is always... The risk of failing. You cannot be an entrepreneur not wanting to fail. So that's a philosophy that's been part of the foundation. So there are a number of models that we've tested and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. So uh, we're willing to take the risk maybe that some other foundation don't take. And then once it works, you know, people join us to help scale the program, which is what we do with a number of large corporate donors who give us money once a model has been proven. Hmm. That's really good. And what do you think that ma makes your programs different? Is it this risk? Risk is one thing. Also, is doing certain things that other people don't do. I'll give you the example. Right now, we've, we've launched this like, digital group in the Middle East that creates content to challenge gender stereotype by doing videos and uh, using all the social media, you know, Instagram, Facebook, uh, uh, Snapchat. Entertaining content, but with a gender twist. So we're just releasing a video now about unpaid labor. Which is, you know, mm. a very interesting one. And we're doing, a, oh, there is a new series that we're launching. It's a 10 episode about uh, patriarchal societies. But we do it, what we want to do is, it has to be funny. And we, you can talk about seriously, but if you want to engage people, make it funny so that, and engage men and women. It's not a woman telling the story. It's a couple talking about it with a different angles. Yeah, and there's something, you know, very beautiful about what you've done because since 2005, until now, your, your foundation has focused on different programs, but always different programs around women. So you've been able to build on your work and really create a, a know-how that now you can deploy on different projects. And, you know, I think it's really important when you want to have impact, you need to focus on, on one thing and use that knowledge. And it's a bit what you mentioned earlier about the resilience and I mentioned the neuroplasticity is this adaptability. You know, we started this radio station, the first one for women in the Middle East. And uh, then we wanted to do the same one in Egypt. It didn't work. And the guy told us, why don't you do radio fiction? So we start with an idea. But sometimes we realize maybe it's not the right time or it's not the right environment. And we adapt ourselves. And that's the, this entrepreneurial mindset is that 
sometimes things need to be adapted to work. And what you start with, you end up with something else. So it's, you know, we started the radio in 2009. And let's say 11 years later, we end up with having like a small like digital uh, media group. So, you know, there is a logic. Yeah. Can you tell us more about how you started, how you started that radio station? And how did you decide to use radio as a means to change people's perceptions? It came, I was having a discussion with a social entrepreneur and a very famous uh, photographer called Reza. Mm -hmm. And uh, Reza was telling me that he works in Afghanistan and he had trained many women journalists and doing a radio for women is, is something that really inspired him. Mm. And uh, maybe a few months after, I was in, uh, in Jerusalem and I've asked a number of people around, do you know anyone who works in a radio station? And I ended up meeting a woman who used to run uh, an Israeli-Palestinian uh, radio station. And we decided to start a radio together called Radio Nissan, means Radio Woman. So it's really a number of reasons why you start things, people that you meet. And it's always, at the end of the day, I don't want to do things on my own unless I have the right people. There is no point of doing things. Yeah, no, that's a very good, that's a, that's always how it works in any entrepreneurial adventure. It's about opportunities and people who you meet. And behind the idea of, of starting a radio station, it also seems like that it was a way of uh, changing perceptions and, and stereotypes about women on the ground. Can you tell us a bit more about that and how, how you do it? It's about changing the, the way people look at, at certain things. So for example, we, we, if you take the radio station, it's about being like a normal radio station with similar programs and changing the narratives in terms of certain topics. So we would have a topic on women entrepreneurs and featuring women from the local community who are entrepreneurs. So, and a lot of women in the region maybe don't realize that there is women who are entrepreneurs, there are women who can do things. So it's about changing what they see as a possibility, what they can do or can become. I'm not taking an American woman and saying, oh, you, you could become mm. like that. No, it's taking women from their own community. It's also reporting about certain topics that maybe other radio stations don't report. You know, you're talking about like early marriage or uh, topics that people don't really talk about because they're not, let's say, the most uh, sexy because you're talking about difficult situations. Yeah. But if you don't talk about it, nobody can change what's happening on the ground. Also, for us training a lot of women journalists, so it goes from more women journalists to changing the topics and also featuring men who understand the value of that. So it's not only what I don't want. It's not a radio station for women because 45% of our listeners are men. Mm. So it's a radio station for everyone, but with a, a twist on the content. And it's very similar you know, when we did our radio fiction, you know, that's 20 episodes. It was the life of a young Egyptian girl and everything that could happen to her. So every episode had a topic. Mm. Could be you know, workplace sexual harassment, could be... Uh, could be interacting between a woman. So a lot of topics and uh, where you change a bit the perspective. Yeah, no, and I think it's very interesting also, you know, because I think when you bring up models and you feature, you know, women engineers and women journalists in certain areas of the world, then other women never thought that they could do that. And then, you know, now they can dream that that, that could be possible for them. And I think that's really great that you're also providing models that are, are close enough to home so that they seem real in, in the cultural context in which the listeners live. Exactly. It's about inspiring. Exactly. 
And Radio Nisa became one of the fastest growing radio stations in the region and rose to be one of the five most listened to radio stations. Do you know how many people are listening today and in which countries? The bulk of the radio station is uh, run out of, uh, we have the normal broadcast, mm -hmm. you know, through FM. But this one is in, uh, in Ramallah, all the, the whole West Bank and Gaza and, uh, and, is and Israel also. And then we have the, the digital, uh, digital version of the, of the radio station. And that's why we decided to launch that uh, digital platform. Now, last year, we did 200 million video views on the, on the digital platforms. So, um, and it was because it was a way to reach people through, there are two reasons. First of all, it's a younger audience. And if we want to change things, radio station is an older audience. And it's harder to change perspective in older people than in younger people. So, and uh, so that's why we moved to the digital space. And also you can reach way more people. So for us, our audience is across the Levant and, uh, and GCC and Northern Africa. And now we, we have a big uh, focus on Saudi Arabia because there are a lot of changes happening in terms of uh, women rights. Oh, great. And women opportunities. You know, they want to double the, to double the number of women in the workforce by two, in 2030. So it's, it's a massive uh, objective. Great. So you're getting your content out there then as well. Yeah, it's a different content for South. Okay, so the, the content varies uh, according to the countries as well. To the region, you know, you could speak the Middle East in, in three regions. And you said that the radio station, Radio Nisa, has about 45% males who are listening. Do you know about this exactly. digital content? Do you, do you have any idea how your listeners are, are split up between men and women? Yeah, we, we do. And it depends per country because we have a breakdown by country mm. in the region and also by, uh, by gender. So we are, in terms of, I mean, if I take it overall, it's about 60% women, 40% men. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing uh, considering the content. So, and that shows that sh things are changing, right? Because if there's an interest, it means that there's an appetite and people are watching this because, because it speaks to them. And because they are interested in knowing about these issues. Yeah, but also we do it. You know, we we hired a team who came from one of the large media group. We part of the people came from Vice Media. So we, you're talking about people who know how to do entertaining content, and uh, we can get some level of, uh, of virality. And uh, you're also using social media to reach people. We, I mean, all of those this content is is on all, our distribution platforms. I mean, we have a website, but it's it's Facebook, uh, Instagram. And um, Snapchat, because Saudi Arabia is big on Snapchat. So, and we have about 3.5 million followers. Oh, amazing. And uh, I think something that you did that was also very, maybe you can talk to us about this, but that was sort of a very entrepreneurial choice that you took was to also feature some musical and pay musical and acting talent that was very well known in the region so that the content would also circulate a lot more. Can you tell us a, a bit more about this? Because I thought this was a, a very important and bold choice on your part. Yeah, the first radio fiction uh, series that we did, we had Nancy Ajram, who's one of the famous uh, Lebanese singers, and Mona Zaki, who's an Egyptian actress. And they're both very famous. So we, the ability for us was to leverage their own networks, which was important. And season two, which we did as a, as a cartoon, so using social media platforms to distribute. We had Ala Wardi, which is a guy who did the, the song No Woman, No Drive, <laughs> when women couldn't drive in Saudi Arabia. 
and Saba Mubarak, which is a another Lebanese uh, actress. So yeah, both of them were acting in the in the in the cartoon and also uh, Alad in the music. And you and you decided to make that choice so that the content would be more followed and seen by more people. So I think that's a very good way of influencing as well. Exactly. And can you tell us a bit more about this fiction and this sort of edutainment that you do? And uh, what is the story about? What are the episodes about? So the, we, we're launching a new one huh? and we're launching a few things. So we, we, we have a full website with a, a lot of articles. Plus we have this uh, video series of like 10 episodes of about seven, between five and seven minutes each. And uh, with one of the very famous uh, bloggers in the region. So she talks about a lot of patriarchy patriarchy in a very funny way. So it's hard to explain because every top, every uh, episode will have, a, will have a different topic. So, and uh, we're still in the process of finalizing it because we do listening groups, trying to find out how far we can push because there are certain topics that are still, uh, and it's, uh, and the listening group, you know, it's very interesting to see the difference between men and women and also where they're coming from. Because given we're working in the region, we, we need to help people from Egypt, people from the GCC, people from Northern Africa. So it's, uh, it's interesting to see the, the, the reaction. So we're, we're having a big debate right now about uh, one of our episodes and what we can do and what we cannot do. Oh, that's, that's very interesting. And um, I I'm, I'm imagine it must be very difficult to make those calls. Yeah, we actually uh, we have a conference call tomorrow about it. But it's, uh, it's also interesting, you know, if you have a team that's willing to debate, because we have some very talented people who do the, the content, but at the end of the day, great content is important. But if you get too much pushback, yeah, you, you lose part of the impact. So it's, it's the fine line of how far you want to go and uh, how far, whether you want to get too much pushback and then you lose, don't even engage people. So that notion of engagement, like I mentioned to you, is very important for me. Exactly. No, that's, that's really crucial. And you have to, there's a very fine line between moving people enough to make them think differently and then also doing it cautiously enough so you don't lose them in the process. Exactly. And then, you know, look, if you lose them, they won't be with you for the next episode because you would have gone too far. So it's, so for us, it's a long-term race, changing behaviors, changing mindset doesn't happen overnight. So we've been in this for the last more than 10 years in the region and we'll be doing the same for the next 10 years. So, you know, time is, is our ally. Exactly. And right now you're reaching more than 200 million views on this content, which is really spectacular. And are, is this mostly young people who are, who are viewing this content or is this spanning? A- yeah, the bulk is 18 to 35. Oh, okay, great. Great. And mix of, as we said, it's a mix of men and women. Exactly. And can you tell us a, a bit more? I read about Soap Opera that l- launching in Dubai with Ben Silverman a uh, producer of a series, The Tudors. And Jane the Virgin and Ugly Betty. Yes. Can you tell us a bit more about the project? It, it, it's a project. Huh? Nothing has happened yet. So it's a show that we're trying to pitch to some broadcaster in the region. And it's a show called Girl Starter. It's about a uh, woman entrepreneur. So it's uh, similar to The Apprentice, but uh, with woman, woman entrepreneur. So we wanted to do this show, the show that happened in the US. We wanted to do it in a region. With a, diff- with a team of women competing against each other, coming from di- different countries from the region. So it's, we, we have the whole show prepared. You know, now we're trying to find the right local partner to distribute it. Oh, great. Great. So I hope it comes out very soon then. 
I hope we get the right partner, but uh, it's interesting. Complicated time those days. Yes, <laughs> it's a complicated time for anything. So we're looking forward to definitely to seeing that come out one of these days. And I was also very impressed to be with uh, the foundation's work around Afghanistan and what you do in supporting and educating in Kabul uh, 5,000 girls. And I was very impressed with the School in a Box, which is sort of three-year program that replicates something that you did in one school. And can you tell us about how this got started and um, and your encounter with Sherry Blair and how all this this idea of, of providing this to schools in Afghanistan came about? I mean, it started in 2000, uh, about 2007. And uh, Sherry Blair had come back from a trip in uh, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and she wanted to work in, in the larger school for a girl, which is Al-Fata School in Kabul, which is close to 6,000 girls. And um, we decided to partner with her to uh, actually improve the quality of education. Mm. One of the issues in Afghanistan at the time is there was know, no education under the Taliban for girls. And then you know, when Taliban left, were defeated, they decided that you need to have as many boys than girls in school. But the quality of girl education was not very, very high. So decided to transform that large school to make it the model school for girls' education. And then we ended up replicating it in schools, and we had about 30,000 girls in the school that we worked with. So it's about improving the curriculum, developing the curriculum. So, And now we've moved the program, and we have a program it's called Coding for Girls, where we train girls to be software engineers because it has, it has the advantage of doing two things. It's breaking stereotype. A girl, a software engineer in Afghanistan, very far from the reality. Plus, it's also a good way to get jobs because that's where the growth is. Yes, and, and it's also giving them sort of an opportunity to do something that they wouldn't necessarily learn in school normally. What I think is also very crucial about this, which I think might be very inspiring for people who are listening, is also how you kind of, the model of the Womanity Foundation as well is, is how you launched this program out of an idea, out of an encounter with Sherry Blair, who exposed, you know, a need and you created something locally and then you, you tested it in a school and then you created something that could be deployed and scaled in other places. So can you tell us a bit more about that? Because I think that's very unique to your way of doing philanthropy and, and very interesting model for other people. Look, we try a model that's similar to uh, what we did in Afghanistan. We tried it with one school. It took us time to figure out what worked, what didn't work. And once you have a model that works, you try to scale it and you bring in partners. When I, partners for funding and so partners for development to, uh, to scale the program. So that's really what we've been doing in, uh, in our approach. So it's really testing a model. Sometimes it doesn't work, so we stop it. And if it works, we try to scale it. And then that's that's really important. And do you provide the, does the foundation then provide tools to to train the other schools that are adopting the model, or how does the scaling happen? Oh, yeah, we we, we, know. we it's a, in the case of Afghanistan, we go into the school and it's a full implication with with the school. So replicating the model is not we're sending them a book. No, we go in and in that case of Afghanistan, we bring teachers to to train the, the teachers. We work with uh, Bringing, let's say, if we develop the curriculum, so we brought in like partners to develop. Let's say there was no sports in certain school, we brought in sports. So it's it's a 
It's a full-on involvement. So it's not just coding? School in a Box initially was about developing the quality of the education. And now we move from only quality of education to the coding. So hmm. coding is the newest program that we have in Afghanistan. Okay. So it's part of, it's part of the program. And how many schools are you guys doing in Afghanistan right now with this uh, School in the Box model? School in a Box was 13 schools, if I remember well. And now for uh, coding for girls, we're making it a small program because it's not about the size. You know, we had 30,000 girls in School in a Box. So it's about, you know, how good the skills are and how much, how many of those girls can get a, a job also. Mm. There is no certain Yeah, so I imagine this notion of harnessing impact and measuring impact must be really important to the way your foundation works as well, because that must also make your decisions, inform your decisions about whether you're going to deploy this in other places or move this to a greater scale. Have you have, Has your foundation invested a lot in that? Impact measurement is essential, and that's the first thing we do before we start a program. So we And we use outside people to, when we start a program, they come in and we decide what we're going to measure. And then we work with them at the end of each year to measure the impact and report on it. Because it's too easy to say, oh, yeah, I'm doing great things, you know, but really? So that's, uh, that's an important part of what we do. And about how much time do you spend before developing a program then studying the conditions and measuring everything around? Look, it could be three months to, uh, to a year and a half. Wow. So that's, that's really important. So that's a, that's a really important step that, you, that your foundation takes. Yeah, and it's a big investment that we do upfront, but I would rather spend too much money upfront and not do something than spend too much money afterwards, realizing that our program was not effective. Yeah, that's a very important realization. And have you, this, the program for girls, have you been able to deploy it in other countries aside from Afghanistan or have, has it just been a program in Afghanistan? No, this one, the education for girls is only in Afghanistan because the we have so much work already to do in Afghanistan that uh, mm. I won't be able to finish in my lifetime. You know, so. no, that's that's also another very important realization. <laughs> know what you can do and and where you can have impact. And I think it, so. That brings up a lot of notions of impact as well because it's something that I think about a lot in, in my own life as well. But you want to do a lot of things, but sometimes when you're doing less and more meaningful work and deeper work, it has a much bigger impact than if it were just touching a lot of people. Exactly. No, I would rather, give the example of Afghanistan, I have 30,000 girls and every year a few thousand come out. But if they're educated and then there is no job opportunity for them, I've created a lot of girls who are frustrated because I show them the opportunities and they cannot seize it. So I would rather really impact the life of uh, less than 30,000 that really impacted meaningfully. Mm. So that's always, you know, goes back to the, what you were saying before about the impact. You, impact, you measure the size or also the, re, the real uh, the reach. You know, change in the life. Yeah. And what do you guys do? I'm very curious. What do you guys do to ensure that after the, the program and the education, the opportunities are there? Do you work with local partners or to then employ them? Yeah, we have local partners. You know, Before we start, we have always local partners to get internship or to get jobs. You know. Yeah, and that's also very important. I think that's a very, also a very important aspect of any women's empowerment program is also that you need to study 
before you think about a program is what opportunities are going to be available after. Exactly. It's too easy to think, okay, things will happen, but think before. Exactly. And if those opportunities aren't immediately available, then you need to create them and, and use your network, leverage your network to create those opportunities. Otherwise, you know, they will not be able to serve themselves of the education that you gave them. And I found something very similar to that when I was designing a program to help women entrepreneurs, because if you don't help them find their first clients or find their create a network of support, et cetera, then even if you give them entrepreneurship education, it's not going to go anywhere because it's, it's not going to, in the real life, they're, <laughs> they're not going to be able to reach where they need to reach. So it's very important to think about those things when you're, when you're creating, especially educational programs. Yeah, it needs to be practical. Exactly, exactly. And something that I'm um, very interested in, in knowing, because I know that you've, you've created a lot of innovative content, the Womanity Foundation, has helped a lot of women since 2005. And I'm very, very impressed with all of the results that you've had. And it's been sort of a great, great, great ambitious project. And I know that you're already doing a lot. <laughs> but have you thought about also, are you working with men? Or have you thought about working with men and getting men to be more part of the solution as well? I mean, indirectly, we work with men because we, uh, you know, the content, let's say, if, if I use uh, in terms of content, the content we develop is how to engage men and how for men to understand that there's a different way to do things. And uh, let's say we have an award on the violence against women, the most innovative solutions. You know, the first award was won by uh, Promundo and Abad. And it's both, those are organizations that work on engaging men. Yes, exactly. So Promundo and Abad are, are non nonprofit organizations in Brazil and in Lebanon. And Promundo has created a lot of programs about teaching men lots of different subjects around gender equality, et cetera. Yeah, the, the campaign called Men Care. Yes, they are, they're very much at the, for, the forefront of educating men on gender equality issues. And your grants help them bring that to Lebanon, correct? Exactly. It's about replicating the ProMundo model in, in the Middle East. So Lebanon was only the first one. And uh, yeah, so that's, 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 that's very, very, that's also very, very important work. And it's, it's good that your, their foundation is doing that. And I think that the creating the content is also a very good way if it, if it also reaches men to shift public opinion. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> And um, recently you had a, a gala in Geneva, and uh, which raised more than 2.8 million francs. Uh, so this is showing that the foundation has a very, very big message around gender equality. And BNP Paribas gave you the Philanthropy Award for your work. How do you feel about the, what the foundation has accomplished uh, so far? It's only the beginning. <laughs> you know, there is lots more that we, that we'll be doing. I'm proud of what we've done and uh, have an amazing team, but uh, but I can see there is still lots more that should be done. And can you can you give us some hints about about what the, the, the lots that lots more in the future is? It's about the scale of the program. What we do in the Middle East of on social media media, I would love to uh, reach a billion videos per year, not two hundred million. You know? Same with uh, what we do in, in India in terms of, of our program scaling. What some of the social entrepreneurs we work with do. There is a lot of way that we can really scale what, what we do and, uh, and reach more people. 
Yeah, no, that's that's very that's very good perspectives for the future. But congratulations again on everything that you've accomplished so far because there's there's a lot in there, and I think that there's a there, there there's a lot in there that right now with the right resources you can also scale because you've tested quite extensively and and has given great results. And what do you think that any last words that we can say to men about how they can each be sort of the change they want to see in the field of gender equality? What can each person do in, in their own lives as a man? Well, each man, just first of all, they can raise their children with equal opportunities. I think that's one of the most uh, important things. Also raise their son to be aware of what's happening and the role that they have to play in making our society gender equal. I think if you already do those two things as a man, you're already going to, we're going to see a big change in the world. That's uh, my little uh, advice on what we should be doing as men. Well, that's just perfect. So thank you so much, Jan, for, for this interview. And thank you so much for yeah. your perspective. And thank you so much for everything that you're doing for women, because we need more men as well to stand up for women and not just women. So thank you for doing that for a very long time. <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks a lot. And congratulations uh, for what you do. Thank you. And that's all for this episode. Please subscribe, leave us a review, or get in touch on email, chiara at chiaracondi.com. 